Blessed you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Thank you. Okay. Tonight is a repeat class, divorce and remarriage, because you guys did so crummy the first... That's not true. Um, you, you did well, and it was a good class, and I learned, and I hope you did. Uh, some of you were not here. I don't think Taylor was here. I don't... Johnny wasn't here. I know Joshua was here. Colby, no way he was here. You guys were both here, I think. I'm pretty sure. It was upstairs. I know you were here. You were heckling. Shane was not here. I think Shane was there. Shane was there. Well, then, maybe, then you must have been there. Logic dictates. I don't think I was there. When you say upstairs, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. It was the first floor. Really? Yeah. So after class, we'll be having a tour of the house. It's bigger than it looks. It is. Yeah, it is that. Okay, uh, well, we, we recorded the class, uh, but we were trying a new microphone, and the sound was so poor that um, this is a big deal in the church. There's a lot of people that are concerned about divorce. Many times a woman is divorced, and she has no recourse. Her, her idiot husband has run off with the secretary. Um, or we know of actually two families, one right here in our own neighborhood, where the woman has just up and left, children and husband, just and she walked away and just disappeared. Um, so these people are in a quandary. The teaching in the church from the pulpits is extraordinarily dis- disparatous. On the one side, divorce is absolutely forbidden, and uh, on the other side, remarriage is, is never an option. And we want to look and see. What exactly does the Torah say about it so that we can bring a biblical perspective? Our goal is to know the scriptures and to be able to share it effectively with those that need and want to hear it. So let's walk through this. We're going to go through this uh, very quickly. I'm looking for your participation. I have prepared a handout so that you can take notes. It makes you look more erudite. Yeah, I know, I know. You guys don't even know what erudite is. Holy cow. Now, I did, uh, I am trying to do this wirelessly, um, but have found that the only problem is if I talk too long, the Apple TV goes to sleep. What can you do? Well, I think the answer is don't talk too long, right? Yeah, talk less. Everybody got a hand out there? Is that coming around? All right, so we're going to look um, at some various categories here. We do have pens and pencils available. You can go to the top shelf inside the kitchen there and grab one of those. We're going to look categorically. 
First, we'll uh, just get a quick snippet of what the church fathers have said. And then we're going to look to the scriptures. What does the Torah say? Now, I know that uh, Brock is a noob. You need to help Brock. So he's working on his Hebrew. So when I use any Hebrew here, you need to immediately respond with the English so that people don't feel left out. This not only helps those that are here, like the noobs like Brock, but those that are listening in faraway lands like Gastonia. Okay. I would say say it loud enough so the guy behind Brock can hear it too. That's good, yeah. Yeah, in case there may be a double noob row. Yeah. Okay, so what does the Torah, or in this case, we're using the very largest and widest sense for Torah, which would be the Bible. What does the Bible say about divorce and remarriage? So let's look first at what the church fathers said, and we'll do this in a um, chronological way. First, uh, Justin Martyr in 151 of the Common Era, 151. So we're, we're about a century or more after the Master has risen. And this is the very beginnings of the church. Justin Martyr said, Those who make second marriages, according to human law, are sinners in the sight of our teacher. So, Justin Martyr is making it very clear. You can't remarry. Bam. And you're going to find that, regardless of what you've heard in the church, or what you personally believe, the early church fathers had a very great influence on what we all believe. So we want to go to the scriptures shortly. Clement of Alexandria in 208, about 50 years later, that scripture counsels marriage and never allows any release from the union is expressly contained in the law. You shall not divorce a wife except for reason of immorality. So even though the scripture has in there an exception Allowing for divorce never allows any release. Okay, way to go, Clement. Jerome in 396. So now we're, we're almost 400 years, right? So the master, 30, 33, 396 CE. So long as a husband lives, be he adulterer, be he sodomite, be he ad- addicted to every kind of vice, if she left him on account of his crimes, he is her husband still. And she may not take another. So, very clear here, she cannot leave in any way for any reason. I'm sorry? Okay. Uh, Except you don't. Yeah. So it's it's opposite the scripture. I know. Yeah. I'm with you. And, and, you know, I'm trying to point out that we had in the church some rough beginnings. Now, fortunately, we, we find that, you'll see here with the, with the with Pope Innocent uh, in 408, that's really the name he chose, um, in 408 of the Common Era, you're going to see that most of these early church fathers found or created the beginnings of what the Catholic Church believes about divorce and remarriage. Now, in the Reformed faith, in the Protestant religion, much of that is different. But let's look at where those moorings are. Pope Innocent said, The practice is observed by all of regarding as an adulteress a woman who marries a second time while her husband yet lives. So, remarriage 
is out of the question, or you're an adulteress. And permission to do penance is not granted her until one of them is dead. So you get the whole penance thing coming in, and, you know, alms for the poor and whatnot. And then finally, St. Augustine, right afterwards, undoubtedly, the substance of the sacrament is of this bond, so that when man and woman have been joined in marriage, they must continue inseparably as long as they live. Nor is it allowed for one spouse to be separated from the other except for cause of fornication. So they must accept. Okay. For this is preserved in the case of Christ and the church, so that as a living one with a living one, there is no divorce, no separation forever. What's the key word in this entire paragraph? It is what distinguishes us from Catholics. St. Augustine believed, Augustus, Augustine of Hippo, believed that marriage was a sacrament. It had sacramental value. It would impart grace. And it elevated it to a position in the believer's life that made it sacrosanct. That's why divorce was such a problem. It was, in fact, because of this. With the Reformation, by the way, kicked out and said, no, 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 it's, it's not a sacrament. It's a holy union. It's before man and God, no question. But it's not a sacrament. But because of this, we get that concept of annulment. The annulling of a, lang- of a marriage. We, we can't let you get out of it, but we can say it never happened. That's the concept. Everybody with me? All right, we're done with those guys. Let's look at the scriptures. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to look these up. Make sure I didn't misquote. We're going to look at four things in the Torah. The Torah, in this case now, is not in the broad and general sense, meaning Bible, but rather specifically the five books of Moses, okay? Or the foundation. So we're going to look at the rules for priests. We're going to look at the man who hates his wife. Parenthetically, it normally says idiot. A man seizing a virgin of Israel. And then finally, a man who finds indecency in his wife. Okay, so those are the four categories that we're going to look at in the Torah. So we begin, and I've uh, given you the references at the bottom so that you can put them in your notes and look them up. When you get home, Leviticus 21, verse 7, Leviticus 21, verses 14 through 15, and then finally Ezekiel 44:22, which I understand is not in the Torah um, specifically, but it refers back to these passages, so I wanted to bring it to your attention. Leviticus chapter 21 and verse 7. They, again the priests, shall not marry a prostitute or a woman who has been defiled. Neither shall they marry a woman divorced from her husband, For the priest is holy to his God. So we're talking about marriage. Can a priest marry anyone? No. Evidently not. Can't marry a prostitute. Can't marry a woman who's been defiled. Can't marry a woman who's been divorced from her husband. So... We've already got a piece to our puzzle regarding divorce and remarriage. If a woman divorces, can she marry a priest? That's a no. 
Okay, good, good. I like that. That's very, that's clever. Leviticus 21, 14 and 15, a widow or a divorced woman. Now, it's interesting here. We have these guys, these gals, in the same company. And we're going we're gonna to close our class tonight on the divorced woman and contra compare them with widows. But I digress. A widow or a divorced woman or a woman who's been defiled or a prostitute, these, the Kohen or priest, shall not marry. But he shall take as his wife, now we've got who he should take, not who he shouldn't take, a virgin of his own people, that he may not profane his offspring among his people, for I am Hashem Adonai who sanctifies him. I am the Lord. Okay? And then we look to Ezekiel 44. They shall not marry a widow or a divorced woman, but only virgins of the offspring of the house of Israel, or a widow who is the widow of a priest. Interesting. So the Torah says that a priest cannot marry a widow. But Ezekiel qualifies it and says, well, yeah, that's, that's true. But he can marry the widow of a priest. So we see in progressive revelation, as we learn from the Torah, we progressively are revealed the word of God. You and then you, yes, sir. Oh, two sons-in-law. Where's the other one? This is the son-in-law couch here. Boom, boom, boom. Yes, son-in-law number one. Ah, uh, the high priest, okay. What do you think Ezekiel is referring to? Just a priest? If you've got a plural, it, it would not be possible for, yeah. to be the Kohen Gadol because there can only be one, okay. right? So, yeah, good. Joshua, good, uh, good clarification on that. I was, was going to comment on that. Just to follow up, the end of the context, Ezekiel 44 is priests. Priests in general. So Okay, but is, isn't it the same as Leviticus 21? Yeah, it's the same as Leviticus 21, same people. Okay. Leviticus 21 does not mention widows. Ezekiel says, widows are okay, but only widows of a priest. Got it. But Ezekiel is narrowing that. Oh, I see. For, for a regular priest. For a regular priest, not the high priest. It doesn't specify a virgin for a priest. It does for the high priest. So Leviticus 21.7 doesn't specify. Well, if you take out the category of women, what do you got left? She can't have been defiled or raped. She can't be a prostitute. She can never have been married. What, what's left? I mean... Leviticus doesn't say you never married, just not divorced. So, according to Leviticus, widows are still open. So right, well, I'm just saying... This, Did I miss something? What Joshua says makes sense. In other words, Ezekiel um, is also talking, remember too, Ezekiel is talking about a future temple time. And generally speaking, the priesthood guidelines in Ezekiel are more holy than the priesthood guidelines in Leviticus because we're talking about a more significant temple dwelling. Sure, I'm, I'm willing. I'm, I'm with you there. But I, I, I'm wondering if I agree with what you said. He, he was just saying it doesn't mention a widow there. But it doesn't. Okay, I got you. That's all I was saying. Got you. All right, so we're good there. So high priest and then regular priest. Okay, good. Good. All right.
All right, so to recap, the priest may not marry a divorcee. Should choose a virgin. Would you agree? I don't know there's a choice for the high priest, is there? And the reason I got the question mark there, gentlemen, is if you live in a Torah culture, that's, there is, it's not like now. How could the woman not be a virgin? Well, she went to that high school. No, 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 no. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't work like that in this culture that we're reading of. Jadok's sons could marry a widow in Ezekiel. How do you reconcile that with the Torah? Joshua has said it's a, it's a future time. It's a temple time. It's more restrictive. Does that work for you? Oh, I like that. I like that. And is it only while he's high priest that he's married while he's not high priest? Is that, yeah. is that valid? So if this accounting thing doesn't work out for you, the legal profession could work. That's good. Everybody catch that? Because it says the priest who's got the anointing oil on his head. Right. Yeah. Yeah, all the priests are anointed. Well, it says this is the priest. Yeah. All right. We good with priests? We move on? We move on. Let's talk about the guy who hates his wife. This is an interesting fellow. So we're going to be reading Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 13 to 21. Deuteronomy 22, 13 to 21. If any man takes a wife and goes into her and then hates her and accuses her of misconduct and brings a bad name upon her, saying, I took this woman, and when I came near her, I did not find in her evidence of virginity. So let me pause. What does it mean that he hates her? It just gave you the definition. What does it mean? In this culture, if you're marrying a girl, she ought to be a virgin, and he's implying now she's not. Or at least that's the excuse he's using. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, but I don't, I don't know if we, yeah, I don't know if we can put this, you know, Amnon into this category. But, uh, but I, I hear where you're going. All right, so we're about to get into the part that most people make fun of when they look back at Jewish history and, uh, and this whole concept here. Then the father of the young woman and her mother shall take and bring out the evidence of her virginity to the elders of the city in the gate. So you guys know what we're talking about here? She's a virgin, therefore, uh, it, back in those days and in some Orthodox communities, the sheets used by the couple when they consummate their marriage are going to have evidences of her virginity. And in a lot of modern Eastern cultures still. Yes, because it's so important to demonstrate that you've been pure. 
and that you have uh, abstained and waited. So it's interesting that the parents are going to help out here. Specifically the mother, because it's her responsibility to rear the daughter, per se, into... In family purity, and to understand. Then the elders of that city shall take the man and whip him. And they shall find him a hundred shekels of silver and give them to the father of the young woman. Because he has brought a bad name upon a virgin of Israel. And she shall be his wife. They're going to have a great marriage. He may not divorce her all his days, but if the thing is true, well, now we've got a different story, that evidence of virginity was not found in the young woman, then they shall bring out the young woman to the door of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her to death with stones. Why? Because she has done an outrageous thing in Israel by whoring in her father's house. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Now, I find this fascinating. We see so much about family life, biblical culture, as well as responsibility. Whose responsibility is it that the young lady be pure when she marries? Both parents. Who else's? And her. It's everyone's responsibility. As a dad, I can tell you. If your daughter does not want to be pure, she will not be pure. Chains, whips, you know, it, lack of funds, it doesn't matter. It's, it's going to happen. Guys, it's even harder with you. Right? I think the punishments here are curious. Why does the man get whipped if it turns out she was a virgin? Slender, but really, I, 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 get the, I get the fine. Who gets the money for the fine? Why? That's exactly right. They're the ones that are being maligned. You're saying my daughter is. You're saying I brought her up wrong. You're saying... I'm confident it does. Why? What has he done? Why is it so important that it be a public whipping? There's the immense anxiety that emerges in the entire family yes. when the one little daughter runs away and presumably and, and spends more than one night yeah. with the guy she ran away with. Presumably the, the reason is because it casts a reputation the entire family, so that in actuality it could prevent the other daughters from getting married because people assume if one daughter did it, the whole family must be there. Exactly right. So what's the, what's the family here that's being maligned which would cause this public outrage? Hers. It's the family of Israel. They're all family. You're maligning the entire family. Let's look at our summary. If the guy hates her, who's responsible to help her? Her parents. This is biblical proof that when your kids marry, 
they're still partly your responsibility. Especially if, unfortunately, the husband should pass away. Who's going to take care of her? She's going to return to her father's home. Whipped and fined we talked about. Notice, no divorce. Now, we're not living in a biblical culture, but let's face it. If you have maligned your wife in such a way, you, it, you're stuck with her. You, you try to get out of it, you got her. There's a whole lot of healing necessary there. Some premarital counseling may have helped. Yes, sir? Um, technically, if the husband dies, doesn't she marry the next kin? Not go back to her father? Um, in a Leverite scenario, yes, she would. It would only be if her husband didn't have a son. Right, if she had no children. It, Actually, no sons, right. There also is the option, um, I, think, I can't remember where, I think it's the priest's daughter is where it comes up primarily because there's some legal issues. Whether she can eat the, 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 the food, yeah. Yeah. As in the days of her youth, I think is the phrase that it, So then she right. can get in, the Yeah, and implying that she can then marry. So, but we'll get there. If she's played the harlot, who pays? She does. She pays with her life. life. Okay. Her family pays too. Why? Because they, they take her to her father's doorstep and kill her there. So. Isn't it, don't you find that interesting? It goes right back to the first one. Who's supposed to help her? The parents. And if they got to take her out, they take her right to the father's doorstep. You know, we get a lot of flack about kids that just are rebellious. You've heard me say it here before, and I'll tell you again. It's the parents' fault, in my opinion. I don't buy into the, well, you know, this kid was just very rebellious, and, you know, they needed Ritalin, and I just don't buy that. You're just a crummy parent. Deal with it, you know. Some people are crummy carpenters. Some people are crummy computer people. Some people are crummy parents. It happens. It's not politically correct to say, but it's true. Was there another comment? Yes, sir. If, if that happens and she gets stoned, yes, sir. I mean, the man is no longer a virgin, how does that play into account? Okay, I don't think virgins are ever, men are ever referred to as virgins, but I'm with you. So he's, he's, no, he's not pure, which... Curiously enough, the Bible does not focus on very often at all. But he is a widower. His, his wife has, has passed. Yeah. So now we've got a different deal. Okay? And which I hope we'll, we'll get to in a second. Other comments before we move on? So that's the guy who hates his wife. That's two out of four, I think, right? The next one, seizing a virgin. I just, you know, there's just not enough handguns. <laughs> for the women in this, uh, in this population. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 25 through 29. But if in the open country, you recall this as you've read through the Torah each year, we first went through the situation if the girl is in the city and she's taken by a man and she cries out, then it goes through this. I beg your pardon? In the city, it's presumed she didn't cry out. Oh. Yeah, but the, the concept is there, yeah. So now, um, if in the open country a man meets a young woman who is betrothed, and we talked about that in previous classes, what does it mean that she is betrothed? She's functionally married. 
functionally married, but not physically married. Who does she live with? She lives with her parents. Who is responsible for her at this point? Both, but primarily the husband. It was when they were betrothed that Mary and Joseph went down from Nazareth to Bethlehem. With whom did she travel? Who got her on and off of the donkey? Joseph. Okay. She's betrothed, and the man seizes her and lies with her. If she's betrothed, is she a virgin? Without question. This is how it should be. The man seizes her and lies with her. Then only the man who lay with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the young woman. She has committed no offense punishable by death, for this case is like that of a man attacking and murdering his neighbor. Because he met her in the open country, and though the betrothed young woman cried for help, there was no one to rescue her. If a man meets a virgin who is not betrothed, different now. Is she a virgin? Absolutely. And seizes her and lies with her, and they are found. Then the man who lay with her shall give to the father of the young woman 50 shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife. Interestingly enough, because he has violated her, he may not divorce her all his days. You know, in the church, there's very few people that believe that we should be living under Torah law. And yet I can recall uh, Dr. Gothard using this issue when talking about divorce and remarriage. He flat out told a man who had had relations with his wife before they were married that Deuteronomy 22 made it clear that they needed to get over their differences because he could not divorce her because they had had sexual relations before they were married. Now, I think he's right. But it's interesting that he would go back to the Torah law that, in other cases, he might dismiss. A summary. Open country seizure of a betrothed virgin. You die. How would they know? Why would the woman not say something? What happens if she doesn't say something? She'll die later. Because they'll kill her. So she runs into the city and says, Oh my goodness! This just happened and it was him. She's got to tell him. If she doesn't, we already read what happens. It doesn't end good. Because... Two or three. Did they wait till her wedding day to 100% convict that guy? Hmm, that's a good question. Well, you're you're saying not taking it just on her word. Yeah, because on to say when she's married, the evidence for virginity wouldn't be there. Right. So, so then they go back and kill the guy. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. It doesn't sound right. Husband to be can take her word for it without any witnesses at all, 
I presume you probably would. Um, the, however, they can't kill the, the culprit here without the two witnesses. They don't so, kill him. Well, no, no, no. The, the betrothed woman situation scenario. He does die if he's caught, but you need two witnesses. Um, the idea behind this is not trying to say that immorality in that scenario is not as bad, but simply the two witnessing, I believe, is primarily to prevent people from being bold-faced in their evil. It, it makes it, it's like a fence of prevention. It makes it so hard to commit immorality because if someone sees you by accident, you could die for it. It's a really big deal. But on the other hand, the punishment of death is very rare because you have to have two witnesses. That being said, of course, if the woman says, hey, this guy raped me, if there are no two witnesses, I presume they still, I mean, the, the husband is going to assume she's telling the truth. It is the husband who instigates the other scenario anyway. Right, right. It's a good question, Colby. You know, we would have to look back and see perhaps what the Talmud says about it. Seizure? What's the policy when, uh, I guess, what if, I don't know what's, if there are clear, clearly defined lines when, like in the case of Joseph and Mary, it looked like she had been with some other guy until the angel came and told him that no, this isn't the case, and he was of the mind to... We're going to get to the apostolic writings after we finish the Torah. So let's hold on that, because we're going there. We're going to walk through it. Caesar, a non-betrothed virgin, pay the fine. To whom? Why? His responsibility. No divorce. Is this the second time now? Indecency found in the woman. Deuteronomy chapter 24, first four verses. We read it together. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes, because he has found some indecency, indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, which in Hebrew is called a get, and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife. Wait a minute, what did she just do? She divorced and remarried. And the latter man hates her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, or even if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, husband number one, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before Adonai. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that Adonai your God is giving you for an inheritance. So the man finds indecency in her and divorces her. Halal and Shemai were arguing about this, the two last pairs over the Sanhedrin. Interestingly enough, the master began his ministry as soon as uh, that last one was done. They argued about this. It was almost comical in this area because 
in the, the Talmud speaks of it, the woman would burn the toast. And it was enough for her husband to be able to divorce her. That's it. She burnt the toast. So, with whom did our master normally side? Hillel or Shammai? Hillel. Which one of those sages was more receptive to Gentiles coming to the God of Israel? Hillel. Which one was more strict when it came to reasons for divorce? Hillel. Shammai. Hillel was like, you can, you can do anything you want. She burns a toast, go. This is one of the rare times when the master lined up with Shammai. Shammai was the one that was saying, did I say it backwards? Shammai is the one who would say, wait a second. She burnt the toast? Get over it. She's your wife. Hillel was of the mindset that the man could divorce his wife for whatever reason he wanted. So. Which explains why when the Pharisees came to Yeshua... We're going to talk about the Pharisees when we get to the apostolic writings. We're also going to talk about <laughs> Joseph when we get to the apostolic writings. Yes, sir. said, you know, and asked questions, was he asking questions to these men? So they were able to look the master, like, in the eyes of 10-year-old, 20-year-old, what? When did they die in comparison with the master? Yeah, Hillel died. When Hillel died, pretty much same year, is when the master began his his ministry. Um, So it is possible that Hillel and Shammai could have been there when he was a boy, 12 years old in the temple, and asked, it's possible They all were there in that time frame. She marries another and the second man divorces her or he dies. Well, you see a pattern with this woman already? It seems to be a problem here. I'm I'm just saying. Who does this remind you of? Who does this remind you of? Come on. Tamar. Tamar, she marries Judah's son, and he dies. So she goes to the second guy, the second brother. And it's Aaron Onan, wasn't it? Right? And he dies. And Shelah is the next one. And what's Judah thinking? Bad penny here. Yeah, we need. So that should remind you of that. First man cannot remarry her. Why not? Why is it an abomination? Yes? I think it's important to point out that it's not that he cannot remarry her because he divorced her. He can't remarry her because she's been with another guy. She has so, been defiled, precisely. In that sense, um, I think someone, maybe Jonathan, somebody last time we did this discussion brought up the idea that it's almost like a, um, a case of odd incest in a way because they've been married so they've been one flesh. Now she's one flesh with another guy. She can't go back to the first guy. There's like issues there. There's like too much flesh. But also, um, we see with God... It's one flesh, one flesh is two flesh. You know. when you, I don't know if you're going to bring up the issue of God writing a 
that point, that's in the prophets. There seems to be an openness to remarriage when there's not another husband. Yes, sir. I got you next. If, if, if she's allowed to come back to him, would that promote carelessness or indecisiveness with the original divorce certificate? Because knowing that well, maybe this is divorce certificate isn't final. I don't think so, Colby. And the reason I say that is... Oh, did I lose it again? <laughs> um, if... Uh, oh, I've got an idea. See if that'll work. Um, no. Um, if, uh, if the man divorces her, he can remarry her. Can he not? Yes. But if she remarries, then he can't remarry that woman. So, if she can remarry, it can't have anything to do with the whole Ritter divorce. It has to do with something else. And I think it has to do with the, with the defilement. Oh, man. Same turf. That's interesting. That's what we're saying here is that her marriage to the second guy is not prohibited. But the, what's a problem is when she gets remarried, she can't go back to the first guy. I guess I'm confused as to why the second man is in problem in terms of the defilement. Well, I would, I, I understand that. It's a very good question. I think, I liked Jonathan's point before, she's, she's been one flesh with the first guy already when she kind of like, breaches the bond ever so slightly, it's almost like she and the first husband are related in a weird way. I mean, they're not really, but, I mean, they've been one flesh, they've been family. Now she's family with somebody else. It's almost like they're, like, she's still kind of family with the first guy, but not, no longer what? I think you can look at it this way. What is the one reason given so far where a man can divorce his wife, without question. Sexual immorality. She's been with another man. So, if he divorces her, he can remarry her. If he divorces her, and she's then with another man, we assume it's in the bond of marriage, because surely she's not whoring. We don't do that. So it's just a nice way of saying, she hadn't been with anybody else, if you will. Does that work? Does it matter if the second husband is dead? It said it said it in there. Yeah. If he die, even if he dies, she's been with somebody else. Maybe my understanding. So I still haven't heard the answer to my question, which is. So Let, let's hear your question again. So the question is: So she can't remarry the first man because she's been defiled, so to speak, because she married the second man. Yes. So. It says in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, that when he's with her, then he finds some sort of indecency, and then he gives her divorce. Right. So if she's been defiled already in her first marriage, why does No, that no, no. It didn't say she was defiled. Okay. He found indecency in her. So maybe we should talk about indecency. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> I pay him for these things. Yes. Um, yeah. It's very cool. I know. You just, you got to wait. It'll come out sooner or later, you know. Genesis 9, uh, verse 22. Ham saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Same word. This is not a good thing. 
it's, it's like there's, you know, I think Jonathan's example of chewing gum is, is terribly good. Um, I don't like it. It's just, but it works. It's just like too close. We've, 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 ew. That can never happen wait, 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 if she's been married. No, they've already committed adultery. Okay. They're 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 liable to be stoned. Okay. Okay. Just yeah. curious. Yeah. Can we expound on chewing gum with your last class? Yeah, I missed. He was he, he was saying that the the, the two guys. Or it's like, it's like the guy and the woman, you know, he's the guy and then the, the wife, and now she's the wife of this guy, and then she's going to come back to this guy. It's like she's used. It's like taking your chewing gum and him chewing on it. Doesn't that gross you out? Wait, uh, let me do it better. He's chewing gum, and you got to chew it. Yeah, this is no good. <laughs> All right, let's move on, or we'll never finish tonight. One prophet... Navi, two or more prophets, Nevi'im. Okay, so we're going to look at the prophets. We're going to look at three areas in the prophets. First, the Lord's warning to Israel. Second, the Lord's rebuke to Judah. And then third, the Lord's plea for tshuva, which means repentance. Repentance. So we look first at the chastening. We'll look at three passages for chastening. Isaiah chapter 15, verse 1. Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 8. And Hosea chapter 2 and verse 2. So our first one, Isaiah 50 and verse 1. Thus says the Lord, Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you were sold, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. So chastening. Put out. Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 8. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. And then finally we top it off with Hosea 2.2. Plead with your mother, plead. For she's not my wife, and I am not her husband. That she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. So, the Lord divorced Israel because he found indecency in her. True or false? Appears to be the case. But there is the questioning in Isaiah 50 as he asks, where is the get? Where is the certificate of divorce? Do you have it? Can you find it? He said that she was not his wife. And yet he says he will take her back. Explain why this is so important. It is messianic. Talk to me. Isn't there a discussion that tells about that? If, so if, the, if the man 
Torah says he cannot, she, she cannot come back to him. Unless, and this is the time that I think, unless he dies and is resurrected, essentially. Then he's like a different guy. That works. The um, you you the illusion that um, Jonathan is making here from the Talmud is not unlike what the Pharisees were asking the Master. Was it Sadducees? Thank you. The Sadducees were asking the Master. Oh, this guy is married to this woman, and he dies, and she remarries, and she she he dies, and marries, and he dies. Seven men she's been married to, so. Whose husband, whose, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? It's, it's a very similar kind of deal. Gentlemen, you mark it down. This is the gospel. We have all gone whoring after the lusts of life, the cares and pleasures of sin that pass for a season. We have all forsaken God all of us have sinned and fallen short of his glory. Every one of us. But by his grace and his love for us, does he take us to him and purifies us so that he might present the body of Messiah to himself, spotless and pure. If this didn't come to pass, if this were not the case, we would be without hope. It is Christ and Christ alone that provides for us this opportunity to have relationship with the Father. On this thing, he talks about putting her away, although he questions that like he's given her a rid of divorce. Right. Even if he has, um, I think, I don't know the Talmud's commentary on this specifically, but I would think, based on Deuteronomy, the only prohibition for him retaking her is if she's married to another exactly guy. Right. Not if she's with another guy That's necessarily. Right. She, she can, no question, be unfaithful and, and still be taken back. That's right. But he doesn't have to divorce her if she's unfaithful. No, but if he does divorce her, he can take her back, provided she doesn't marry. Right. So in this case, this is a scenario that's not addressed explicitly in Deuteronomy, where he divorces her, presumably. She does not remarry. It is okay for him to marry her again in that specific case. Be- if she remarries, she's off limits. Uh, or is, is remarried just the Torah's version of using su- synonymously have cardinal relations, though? Is that... I don't think so. We didn't, we didn't have any spot here that we've seen so far where a man could not remarry if his wife was unfaithful. He could put her away if she was unfaithful. But there was no prohibition against him marrying her again, except if she's married somebody else. And if she married the other guy, she, he can't take her back. Even if the guy dies, he cannot remarry her. But it doesn't say anything else about taking her back if she hasn't remarried. So it works for Christ and the church. It works... Even better with the resurrection, no question. Was there a comment on this side? Yes, sir. But it also, he doesn't have to put her away. Like, 
If he chooses to find indecency. Right. Yes, that's exactly right. Now, in this case, I would say he did put her away. He did put Israel away. But he is kind of, you know, playing this game of where's the writ of divorce? Oh, not again. But it, it doesn't say it. It does not use the word for right. relations there, though. Right. So, and, I can, and as I previously said, I, I don't think, from what I can tell, that you are um, obligated necessarily, because it's if he finds indecency in her, um, I don't know if you're obligated to divorce her in that scenario. So if not, then she's been with another guy anyway. Yeah, we, we know that you're not obligated. It's if he chooses to. So, All right. What would reflect poorly on him? Having a wife that was wayward and still be your wife. I would say the opposite. I would say that, especially since God commanded Hosea to take a prostitute as his wife. Right? What does it say about your love for your wife? It's over the top. Even though she's unfaithful, you still love her. It's a picture of God and us. Because maybe you're not unfaithful, but I am. As much as I don't want to be. But it, it only brings him glory in his grace towards me. Well, it, that's the one thing that distances us, though, right, is the unfaithfulness. Mm -hmm. So it's not, you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's it would reflect poorly if, uh, it would reflect poorly on God if it wasn't known that it's only one person in this relationship that is, wait, like, she's being singled out as, like, she's obviously committing some kind of Yes, here. yes. Mm -hmm. Although, I mean, I think, that, I think the, what it says about what you do in secret will be yeah. proclaimed publicly. Yeah. What you, you know, so the man is being faithful, but he's not, certainly not shouting on the rooftops, but I think that principle applies in that situation. And, and, and don't we see that in Joseph and Mary? Right? Because we're going to get there. Right? All right. That was the first one, chastening. The second one, oh, uh, the recap. Can a man divorce his wife? Absolutely. Can either the man or the woman remarry? Absolutely. Is divorce and remarriage a problem? Married to another man. Did everybody catch that? So far in, in, the, in the Bible, what we've seen is divorce and remarriage is not a problem. Provided the woman has never been married. If she's been married, you can't. And if she has had relations, if, if she's, married, I'm sorry, she's if she's been married, you can't. If she was married to you. You can marry a woman who's been divorced. Otherwise. I'm sorry, go ahead. That would be a whore. We never stone one person at a time unless it's a person violating another. So if a woman has sexual relations with a man outside of the bonds of marriage, there's a problem. 
but they both need to be caught in the act of adultery. You can't catch one person in the act of adultery. That's, you know, when we get down with a woman uh, caught in adultery with the master, is given the opportunity, right? Um, this, it's, it's a sham from the very beginning, right? Because you can't catch the woman in adultery without catching the man in adultery with her. Where's the man? I've got, boom, boom, boom. Yes, go. Yes, yes, sir. I was uh, going to say it brings to bear, too, the issue with David and Bathsheba. They would have been caught, and they would have both had to have been stoned. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that one thing to highlight from the whole discussion of priests earlier yeah. is that it says a priest cannot marry a divorcee. Um, the implication is a non-priest can. Right. In other words... You said that last time we did this class, yeah, too. Just to highlight that again, that the, the fact that you can't marry a divorcee, just like the high priest can't marry a widow, implies then that the average Joe... Jew. Jew. Yeah, <laughs> ...could marry a divorcee. Yes. Um, as long as it wasn't in that very unique situation where he was already married to her before and she had some other guy. But and she was married to another guy. Exactly. But you, you bring up a good point. The fact that we have to say that the priest can't marry a divorcee implies that your average Israelite can. Yes, sir. Um, maybe we established this and I missed it. But, um, Snoozing in the back. That's right. You're in the front row next week. So if a man divorces... Wife, yes. And it doesn't meet the qualifications of divorce. What does that mean? Say Did he divorce her or not? That's what I'm asking. Say a man can find indecency in his wife and give her a writ of divorce. Under what reasons can he do that? That the greatest sages of the day were arguing about. If she burns the toast, can he say, that's it? I'm divorcing you. Here it is. I've written it down, and I'm putting it in your hand. We're divorced. But with the understanding that, say that that's not the option, and the only, the only option is indecency. Well, that's that's the that's the whole issue of of what is, what is it? Was very vague. Exactly. So. Sometimes, in some cases, the master was very clear about it, and he's and we're getting there. Later. Yeah. What's, what's our view on whether a wife can divorce herself from the husband? Because everything so far just been a country. Absolutely. And as when we get to the end, I think we'll see. There is never a case where a wife takes a husband, nor is there a case where a wife divorces her husband. And we're going to talk about history in 1000 of the Common Era. We've got Rabenu, Gershom, Ben Yehuda, right? He did something fabulous. But we'll talk about it when we get to that, because you guys don't remember. It's okay. Um, can either the man or woman remarry? Can a man remarry his former wife? Yes, if she hasn't married another man. That's what the Bible says. Let's look at the Ketuvim, the writings. What are the writings? Everything else besides the Torah and the prophets, and, uh, and, and many would put in the writings, the apostolic writings, or what we call the New Testament.
So we're going to look at four things here. We'll look at Joseph, the father of Yeshua, Yeshua, the son of God, the Prushim, the Pharisees, good, and then Shaul, Saul of Tarsus. Okay? We're almost done. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 is the one that Johnny wanted to bring up earlier. Now the birth of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Miriam had been betrothed to Yosef, before they came together, she was found to be with child from Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. And her husband Yosef, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her resolved to divorce her quietly. Before we move on, he was unwilling to put her to shame. In what way would he be putting her to shame? Elaborate, Mr. Foster. Okay, and and the punishment then would be stoned. Okay, I'm sorry? Right, so you're ahead of yourself a little bit because they'd been betrothed, so we didn't get to the consummation. The wedding night hadn't happened yet where we would have the evidence. So there can't be evidence yet. So that's not what would happen here. What would happen here? Look at the baby, the baby bump. They would look at the baby bump. That's evidence. But it's not good enough evidence because it could have been Joseph. Exactly. So what? So what is he doing? Taylor said it as, as soon as we started. He's divorcing her. How can he divorce her? He's not married yet. Functional marriage. Betrothal is functional marriage. He's found indecency in her, and he's going to give her a writ of divorce. But he is not willing to put her to shame. So he's going to do it quietly. Say, so look, you know, things happen. I understand. Hey. I'm going to head up to Nazareth. There's a girl named Jill. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of a reflection on Joseph's character because yes. he's taking a risk. He, he is taking a risk. Brock, why, is, why do you say Joseph is taking a risk? Yeah, I mean, this baby, this baby came awfully early. Yeah, exactly right. It's going to reflect poorly on him. Will it reflect poorly on her? Maybe. But probably not. He married her. Why did he marry her? Because he's the father. Did you know that the, the Bible never calls Joseph Jesus' stepfather? Always calls him his father. Interesting. So, why does the scripture add that Joseph was a just man? Because of what we just said, right? He's just. He's God-fearing, which means he wants to do things on the up and up, but he's a just man, and he's going to protect her. How would Miriam be put to shame? 
What would, what would happen if he, if he uh, followed through on his plan? She's damaged goods big time, right. So now what happens if he does it privately, quietly, like he talked about? How would she be put to shame? Well, in that case, she wouldn't be put to shame in that sense, because that's what he says. He says he does not do it publicly so as not to put her to shame. So, so what's, what's, the, what's she got? What's she with? What's her life like if he does it privately? Okay, okay. Almost zero, because... Yeah, she not only has a writ of divorce, yikes, some guy put her away, but also she's got a child. You still would find in her the evidence of virginity, though. Yes, which would throw the next guy off big time, right? I'm sure the parents would be like, Wait a second. Yeah. That's it. That's right. All right, we move on to the master himself. Yes, sir. It's a little, it's a little off, but let's say that besides Mary and Joseph, that happened. And the stone well, 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 when you say that, it's an indefinite pronoun reference, so let me make sure I'm clear. That happened. You mean the Holy Spirit came upon another virgin of Israel? Okay, so let me hear what that is. Um, betro- bet- Betrothed. Betrothal. Betrothed. Betrothed. Good. Uh, let's say that betrothed could also mean that is happening. What is happening? Betrothed. Betrothal is occurring and two between a man and a woman. Okay, so we have a betrothed couple. She sleeps with another man, gets pregnant. Yes. This, how does the stoning happen? What does the Talmud say or the Torah say about stoning while with child? Does that count as two lives or one? Can't she be stoned if she's pregnant? Okay. So in, in the case of a betrothed woman who is taken, we already read the Torah. We already know exactly what to do. If it's in the city, they're both going to die. Bam! We don't know she's with child, and in that day you couldn't know. Baby bump. And quite you don't have a baby bump. No way. If they're caught in the act, we're done. If we're not caught in the act, then the the woman is is going to carry the burden because a man can find indecency in her. The betrothed certainly could. And it would be just like what we've got right here with Mary, Mary and Joseph. If the betrothed woman is in the field, cries out, nobody can hear her, we can point to the guy. So we'll, we'll kill the guy. But we've already got what we got. Don't try and mix it up with, well, you get the baby and the second life and all that. It never happens. Unless the baby is showing, and it's obvious there's a baby there, and two men are fighting, and they strike, and the baby gets miscarriage and all that. It talks about it. Go read the Torah. Okay. Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. It was also said, this is the master speaking, whoever divorces his wife... Well, that's exactly what we're discussing tonight. Let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman 
commits adultery. So let's start out here slowly. First of all, does everybody in the room believe that this man is God? Everybody? We got 100% there. Good. Okay. Is there anybody that believes that a man claiming to be from God can add to or change the Torah? Can he add or change the Torah? He cannot. According to Deuteronomy, chapters 12 and 13, if he tries to do so, what do we do? It disqualifies him as a Messiah. It disqualifies him as even a prophet. But he's a false prophet. He would therefore need to be stoned and kicked out. Don't listen to the thing he says. Exactly. Which is why the Master constantly points back to Moses. But I wouldn't say he's just cruel to work. Okay. So now we've got the question. I think he's combating. What is, what is he doing? Good. Tell me. Tell them. No, tell me what you think. I think I think what you think, but I don't think I know what you think unless you tell me what you think. What do you think? I, I think he's, he's raising up the popular points, mm-hmm. talking points. So Halel is out there saying, hey, you've heard that you, know, you can give her a certificate of divorce if she burns the toast. Right, so there's a, I think there's a bunch of competing interpretive traditions. Okay. Good. He's not only giving his own, but since he is God, his is right. We don't have to debate it. We know it's right. Why? Because he's God. All right. So what does he say? We got the, the passage from the Torah says, if he finds indecency in her, he can give her a divorce. What's, his, what's the master saying? He's saying exactly the same thing, and he's defining that indecency. It's not burnt toast. It's sexual immorality. Bam! Clarification. clarification. Just like we got in Ezekiel. It's not a change, it's a clarification. He did. And, and praise God that he did. Well, praise, praise him that he Well, yeah. Maybe you're getting here, so, so stop me. If, if Trust me, I'm real good at that. Okay. So, I've already realized that I can't let you talk too long and the thing will go to sleep again. The, um, whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Yeah. Yes. That you can marry a divorced Yes. But it almost looks like he's contradicting. I got two hands. Oh, Go. Bam. He's ready. Look at um, it. I actually did a little bit of teaching on this little section of what what's, is Yeshua overturning Torah? Is that what you're asking? Yes. Um, and one of the really helpful things to understanding what exactly he's doing is in verse 43 of the same chapter, he says, You've heard that it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Nowhere in Torah is that phrase found. Uh, kind of, that's a conflation of two different passages. So, he, And usually when Yeshua is quoting or referencing the Torah or prophets, whatever, for example, early, or elsewhere in this book we have him uh, facing off against Hasatan, Satan, and he said, it is written, and then he'll quote scripture. Uh, but here he never, the, he doesn't say it is written. He says it is said over and over and over again. You, so, or you have heard it said. You yeah. have heard it said. And so he's not referencing the written Torah as if he's saying, the Torah says this, however, I say this, as if he's contradicting or exactly. contrasting the Torah. He's saying it has been said in the popular debate of this, especially when it comes, because these are really hot topics uh, in that day. I mean, if you look at the second type of the literature, oaths are very hot topics, especially Qumran, things like that, retaliation, 
so on and so forth. So he's weighing in on these popular debates of the day and giving an authoritative. Does that help a little bit? I, I understand what you're saying. Um, but you don't get the fact that it appears to contradict the Torah. Yeah. Because the Torah says that you can marry the woman. Does the Torah say that you're not committing adultery when you do that? Did the master say that you can't remarry the woman? No. So far, we don't have a problem, but hang on. We've got a man in the corner that can bring some light, and i got you next. I think in this case, he's, the divorced woman fits into the earlier clause. Can we see the word divorce there twice? I say that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. Remember, it varies in divorce when commits adultery. So what I, I think... My interpretation of that is, and I could be wrong here, but based on the Torah, and I don't believe Yeshua is overturning that, I would say that when Yeshua is referring to the divorced woman that he's committing adultery with, if he marries her, is the divorced woman who's been divorced for grounds other than immorality. So she's not really divorced. Uh, so so it's like an invalid divorce. She, you know, she burned the toast, he cut, they cut the cord. That's a clever way of putting it. And now this woman is in floating no man's land because she didn't actually do anything worthy of divorce. Technically, by God's view, she's still married. You know, it's, and that's later God's comment, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder, as he was coming. So, and, and he also talks about, from the beginning, it was not like so this. If that's the case, then, what we have here is that, um, in God's mind, which is really the only one that counts, she's still married to the first guy, because the divorce wasn't legitimate. In fact, if we look at what the Jewish sages have said since this time, their, their lay on this is, if you don't have a certificate of divorce... It doesn't matter what civil ceremony you went through to get rid of or annul or whatever. You are still married according to God. And nothing is going to change that other than that legal written divorce that the husband has to give. Good. Yes. I, um, when I, when I, when I saw that, I felt I feel like, pretty much like, I feel like I finally had a point in the class where he said exactly what I was going to say. But, but what I was going to clarify, just so I can understand it, um, but I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, I feel like that was solidifying the grounds to divorce on sexual immorality, and therefore, if it wasn't a divorce on sexual immorality, it wasn't really a divorce. It wasn't legitimate. Therefore, he's still clarifying the side if there's only divorce on sexual morality. Correct. Correct. Which we're going to see again. So it's really whoever marries a so-called divorced woman. What is the carpenter doing? You get you get extra points if you do it in woodworking terms. Smoothing out the rough edges. Polishing. Polishing. <laughs> He's planing the Torah. You got one? He's building an argument. Okay, I like that. Yeah. He's, um, I, I, you, you guys have said it. He's clarifying the arguments of the day and weighing in. And it's magnificent. It's, it's a beautiful thing. You can't have that happen if God shows up looking and sounding like God. But if God chooses to 
reduce himself and to humble himself and to become a man, then he can work with us and he can share with us his intentions for how we should live and how we should interpret his Torah. It depends on how much time I have. Okay, because I'm just curious. Stand by. When we get to modern times, we'll talk about it. Oh, I didn't know if that was a yes or a no. It was if we've got time. But if we don't have time, we won't even hear it right now. How do you reconcile the master's statement with the Torah? You did that. We move on to the Pharisees, the Prushim, Matthew 19, 7 through 9. They said to him, the Pharisees, why then did Moshe... Command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moshe allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So how is this different from the last one? It is. It seems like he's saying the same thing, but his object is a different person. Who's the object in the last one? The woman. Who's the object this time? The man. Yeah. So, there we go. And this too we will probably table to later, but go, go ahead. If it's quick. He's saying Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. Yes. Of, like Moses allowed them to send spies into the land? Okay, so was Moses told to send spies into the Oh, yes. oh, oh, oh. There's no question he was told, but it doesn't sound like it later on. I don't see how these are different from the, the object in this one is he's marrying, the guy's marrying another, and he's. Causes her to commit adultery. And here, he marries another. He commits adultery. Oh, you, have a, you, have a deficient, you have a deficient version. Go ahead. I think that's a, that's a key piece of scripture there because from the very beginning, divorce was never, I mean, it was, there was never supposed to be divorce, right? There was never supposed to be divorce from the beginning. So to me, I think I had to explain this one time in my class, but to me the bottom line was is that it was going to happen. So if it happens for this instance of sexual morality, this is how you handle it. But it's never supposed to happen. That's right. And, and, I, so and that's why I think that's really key scripture because it's not supposed to happen. Well, I, you know, <laughs> uh, let's, let's put it, I, I think you're exactly right, Jerry, so let's just back up time. Let's take any of the guys on the, on the back couch there. They are married now. Will adultery ever happen? Not a chance. Not a chance. It's just not going to happen. How do I know that? Because I know these men. And you have a gun. I have a lot of guns. Yeah. No. But I think the point is that, that well, that's true too. I do know the wives. So, that's true too. But I want, to, I want to just back up in time to maybe even the betrothal period for all three of these men. It's not just that it shouldn't happen. It's never going to happen in marriage. But we should have exactly the same mindset prior to marriage. 
sowing the oats, going off to college and living free. And all. That's a bunch of crap that the culture came up with, guys, and it's abominable. And it is just not what gentlemen do. And it's certainly not what God expects. Amen? Amen. Hmm. Thank you, Jerry. All right. What's the topic here? It's remarriage. It's remarriage. It's not divorce. It's remarriage. It's a reason for divorce and then dealing with the remarriage. Are you talking about the Matthew 19? Right? Yeah. Because context, the first question they ask him is, can a man divorce his wife for any reason? Right. It sounds like they're... They want to know about divorce. Absolutely. And then he goes into the remarriage issue. Because he nails the divorce thing right away. All right. Um, so we just did the Matthew 5 thing, same kind of thing. All right, Shaul. All right, this one gets fun. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6 and verse 28. I know, I know. I'm not taking the whole flow. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 7, again, verses 39 and 40. So let's take a look. First we have, now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. So I think it's extraordinarily important that we realize that 1 Corinthians chapter 7 opens with Paul making this statement. It's crucial. Otherwise, you begin to lay your foundation on sand. So, in the same passage, he says, if you do marry, you have not sinned. That's encouraging. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. What is his point? Problems come with being married. They are inevitable. Absolutely. He's saying it's better to be single. Uh, I've heard and not been able to find documentation for the fact that if you are a Pharisee, you're required to be married. And so some people would say that Paul was at one point married. Is that true? I would say it is not true. Okay. I haven't. Because yeah. I can't find anywhere where Pharisees, it was the norm that they would because they were trying to fulfill the mitzvah. Right. And the mitzvah is not to get married, the mitzvah is to have kids. And in this, yeah, you can't have kids outside of wedlock in God's culture. It's just not possible. So that's, that's why if these guys are so much trying to live out every command possible, then, then you know, if, if keeping a commandment demonstrates my love for God, the Pharisees would say, give me more commands. Right? So let's move to 39 and 40. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Holy Spirit. What is Paul saying? What's the first part? He thinks everybody should stay single. He's allowed to have his opinion. 
He said at the beginning, this is my opinion. I'm not giving you a command. I'm just telling you what I think. What does he think? If a woman is bound to her husband in matrimony, how long is she bound? Till he dies. What's she able to do then? She can remarry. We're talking remarriage tonight. Divorce and remarriage. The guy dies. She can remarry. No problem. But he puts a stipulation. One that I think is absolutely apropos. And according to Torah. What is it? You marry somebody in the faith. You don't marry outside the faith. But in his judgment, again, he's not giving a command. In his judgment, what's best? It's better to marry than to burn. But if you can handle it, you will be able to serve God greater because you don't have to care for somebody else. You don't have all the trappings that go on with marriage. You married guys. Is it work? Yeah, of course it is. Let's take a look at our summary here, and then I'll take your comments. Marriage, abstinence, and divorce. Is this sage advice, or is this biblical command? I don't think you can take it any other way than sage advice. And I think if you try to take it as a command, you find the Bible arguing against itself. And we see a lot of people who are not believers doing this. They'll read one side, they'll read the other side, they'll read this page, they'll read that page, and it contradicts itself left and right. Does he address remarriage after divorce? Yes. Yes. Well, really? Did he address remarriage after divorce? What's this class about? Yes, divorce and remarriage. Divorce and remarriage. Did he talk about that? Yeah, he, yeah. Talked about he did not talk about it. All he mentioned was, if you're a widow, you can remarry. But, stay single. but I think it's better if you stay single. But not, but not divorce. The class is divorce and remarriage. I also think that this passage not only is it advice, not commandments, but there's a part of me that thinks that it's somewhat exaggerated as well. Exaggeration is a rhetorical device. And um, Paul, if he were, certainly it can't be commanded because he'd be arguing against himself. And to Timothy, he explicitly defies those who say marriage is wrong. And he ex- explicitly requires elders to be married and says that a young woman who is a widow should get remarried. So he's actually like denouncing his own explanations if he's ordering people not to marry and or telling them they shouldn't get remarried under any circumstances. Exactly right. And let's understand the, the scene uh, context. Of, uh, oh, good, the, yeah. Well, tell them the Essene thing. Oh, well, if you think the world is going to end soon, you obviously don't want to procreate. And if you're thinking post-apocalyptic type, you know, strategies are going out. Right. So you're going to hunker down, stay the way you are. Here's a summary of what we've looked at in the Bible. What we looked at tonight is all in the Bible. Priests may not marry divorcees. A man cannot remarry his divorced wife after she remarries. Remarriage after divorce is a fundamental tenet of Yeshua's redemption. Hillel and Shammai argued about grounds for divorce. I just thought before I start talking about history and then uh, some current topics... 
you might be interested in all of the abominations listed in the scripture. For those in the faraway lands speaking foreign tongues like in Gastonia, man shall not lie with man. We call that homosexuality. Okay, We don't call it gay. We call it homosexuality. That's an abomination to God. Carved images or idol worship. An abomination. Serve other gods or permit others to serve other gods in your presence. An abomination to God. Leviticus 18 makes the land unclean. What makes the land unclean? Whole bunch of sexual immorality. Do not eat an abomination. It is an abomination if you do that. Do not offer a sacrifice with a defect. Do not serve other gods. Burn your sons or daughters, even divination, any other stuff that goes along with there. An abomination. Cross-dressing. What does that mean? Men dressing as women and women dressing as men. It may look funny, but it's an abomination to God. Bring the fee of a prostitute or the wage of a dog into the temple. Remarry your former wife after she remarries. It's in the list with all the rest of this. It's an abomination. Just like using false weights. As the... uh, At the time when the master was born, there were three major places that God's people were living. Name one. Alexandria, Egypt. Famous, of course, for having so many Jews, a lot of whom could not read Hebrew. They asked for the the Septuagint, the Bible, the Torah, uh, the Old Testament, if you will, to be translated into Greek. Because they couldn't read Hebrew. You had a lot of Jews there. Yeah, Aramaic was a little tough too. All right? Where's the second place you had a lot of Jews? In, in Israel. Right? In Israel. And then finally, in Babylon. Why? Why would there be a lot of Jews in Babylon? They hadn't come back. They stayed in Babylon. Who, who, was, who was there keeping the flame alive about the scriptures, we surmise. Daniel, his descendants, and all of those guys he saved, and their descendants. If, yeah, makes you, makes you realize why three wise guys or more would come from the east to Jerusalem to see the king of the Jews. Three places you have God's people. Israel, Babylon, and Egypt. Babylon is where these wise men came from. The land is where the master was born. Egypt is where he fled. He was with his people. After the Jewish revolt against Rome in 66, and then later again in 135, the Jews were not only severely taxed, fiscus Judaica, but they were also put out of the land. The temple was destroyed in 70 of the Common Era. Those who left went to Egypt or they went to Babylon. That's where we get these Talmudic schools or what, you, what Jews call yeshivas. Talmudic geniuses, Torah scholars headed these up and taught the people and 
and, and uh, taught rabbis the word of God. Over time, over the next four or five hundred years, the Jews begin to leave Babylon. They go north into Gentile-controlled Christian lands and end up in Eastern Europe. And you've got others that went south through Islamic lands over northern Africa and up into Portugal and Spain. These two movements created the two classes of Jews that we have today, cultural classes of Ashkenazi and Sephardic Jewry. They have different customs. They have a different way of speaking and reading. They have different ways of singing. It's a wonderful thing. And by 1,000 of the Common Era, the schools in Babylon were all but closed down. You had folks in Europe, Spain, that were actually writing to Babylon, finding out halakhic rulings, how to interpret the scripture, because that's where the schooling was done, and that's where the head was. The last guy was Rabbeinu Gershom. Rabbeinu? Our teacher, teacher, Gershom. He was a gaon. He was a Torah scholar, a genius. And he made four rulings that changed Judaism for the next thousand years. Name one. A Jew could not open somebody else's mail and read it. Amazing. It is a federal law now. Where do you think it came from? Rabbeinu Gershom. What did that do to the Jews' popularity? It made them absolutely trustworthy to be emissaries and to be ambassadors because they wouldn't read somebody else's stuff. They could be couriers and whatnot. Another ruling. This is the biggie, and it's the reason why I'm bringing it up. He said that a Jew could not divorce his wife without cause, and it had to be adultery. And the woman had to agree. The woman had to agree. It changed the face of European culture. You see it in some of the movies you watch, the older movies. My wife won't, won't let me get a divorce. She won't divorce me, that kind of thing. It came from this. Okay. Divorce and remarriage in the church is a big deal. People that get divorced, for whatever reason, carry a scar with them. They're damaged. And the church treats them like second-class citizens. Now I realize, in our culture, a lot of people divorce for no good reason. And fidelity, longevity, commitment are words that mean almost nothing to this generation. I understand that. But if most of you are, well, there's three of us. Pop, Jerry, and I have done counseling, have talked to people, have dealt with people that have been married and have divorced. And a lot of times, you've got a woman married to an absolute idiot who leaves. You have, as I said earlier, 
a woman who just leaves. The guys get the kids and everything. This is the reality of life. You younger men are going to grow up and be the, the elders of your community. You are going to be called on to give counsel. You need to know what the Word of God says. Can these people remarry? You need to know how to respond. Should I get remarried? May I get remarried? Is it permissible? You need to know. You need to know what to tell them. It's a tough road to hoe. And finally, I think, at least in our community, we do real well in caring for widows. We really do. And I'm proud of, 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 to be just to be a part of this community for that. But you need to stop and think how some divorced women are virtually widows, instant amongst us. And I'm not trying to come out with a definitive ruling. I'm just saying that you have some women that need care because the culture does not allow them to do what the culture back then would allow. The woman has no one to care for them. It's a tough time. You need to be sensitive to that. Finances, protection, you name it. It almost turns into a, a pseudo-women scenario, a widow scenario. So you need to, you need to be cognizant of that. Right? Final comments, questions? It's the only one that the Bible provides for. And in Judaism, a woman cannot divorce her husband. So is it considered illegitimate if that's done? If a woman does? Well, I mean, it, illegitimacy with regard to Torah law has almost nothing to do with civil laws that we live under today. But we do not live in a Torah society. But that's in certain states. In other states, there's no fault divorce. In other states, we can give driver's licenses to anyone. I can't understand that either. However, still by Jewish law, they are still married. So it, Who is? Right, so if you have two people and they're divorcing illegitimately. Illegitimately? Not because of sexual immorality. Yes. They're still married. Whether or not they think that, they're still married. Well, the... the Community would consider them to be so if it were an orthodox community. In a reformed, even a conservative, is, I mean, again, we're, we're talking in a theocracy, in a, in a Torah community. So say if you had, say in the situation we're talking about, say the wife decides to divorce the husband, and it's one of the states where they don't require both of you to sign, the husband cannot remarry if he is a believer and he acknowledges the Jewish law. I th- I think that's one of the things you need to wrestle with. Do you do you you know are you expecting a man to live under Torah law and be in a vacuum, right? I mean, reality is going to happen. So, but what it, what it's going to come down to really is, to your point, if the man comes to you and says, "Can I remarry?" You need to have an answer. 
society that would get divorced for any cause are not going to remarry and or have intimate relationships with other people. So, the guy who gets divorced for an Ill or, the woman, or the woman who gets divorced by their spouse for an illegitimate reason, or maybe they choose to divorce for an illegitimate reason, and down the line realize, oh my, now what do I do? I realize I was wrong. The reality is, in all likelihood, since that divorce was kind of, was not legitimate in God's eyes, if one of those spouses ends up getting remarried, which is almost always what happens, very rare that a person gets divorced and just never sees a person of the opposite sex ever. But, I mean, if that happens, then the first person has cause for divorce. The other person has committed adultery. So, in a way, it may take time, and I don't know what you do with the situation when that hasn't happened yet, but I would say that the percentage of people where once they're divorced for an illegitimate reason and neither one has committed adultery is pretty small. Especially in our cultures. Interestingly enough, the sages, even today, the Jewish custom would be if you get divorced, the Jewish law says that you cannot, even, Jewish law, not Torah law. When I say Jewish law, it's the halakhic understanding and, and so forth. Jewish law says you cannot live in the same apartment complex that your former spouse lives in. So that you're not going to bump into one another and the flames of passion are going to rekindle and you may go too far not being married. So it's interesting that they'll allow the divorce, but then they'll try and stop you from coming together. sick of this burnt toast, I give you a get, I want a divorce, what if instead, like we see a lot in modern times, you know, domestic violence, and to the point of where, you know, women's lives are on the line if, if there's no intervention or there's no separation. In the case of a woman fending for her life, there's, you know, it's... What's your you, question? You don't want to talk about it, but... I don't mind talking about it. No, no, What's I'm your question? It's, it's not a, a popular topic of discussion, but it's a reality in our society. What's the Bible's provision in that sense? Is it, community. Is it truly saying that... The, saying, it's saying community. The elders are responsible. Is it saying that she does not have the right to preserve her life? No, it doesn't. Not at all. It's up to the community to protect that woman. What if they don't intervene? Johnny, how far are we going to go? The community is responsible for that couple. So if you're, going to, if you're going to look at Torah law, then you need to look at a Torah community. And the elders are responsible for that community. And I would go so far as to say that churches should be doing that for their members. Absolutely. But they don't. Because they can't. Because if you try and do church discipline, they're going to leave. They're going to go to the church on the next corner. And all you're doing is passing your problem down to somebody else. We, we are commanded in the Word of God. To treat someone like a non-believer if they will not adhere to church discipline. Treat them like a non-believer? We treat non-believers like they're kings and queens. Come on, we got the best coffee. Come on now, let's rub your feet. Just come and worship with us. We're worshiping with non-believers. I mean, the church is not going to be able to do this. Most churches. So, 
in your scenario, where a woman's life is at risk, or where she's being abused, a Torah community should be stepping in and jacking that guy up and definitely giving that woman a place to stay. She should not be in his home. And somebody just needs to lay him out and straighten him up. But that's what community is all about. It's not what Mrs. Clinton says. We don't raise our kids by the village. We live in community so that we can affect each other in righteousness. So what do you do in the case that someone's not in a Torah community, say they're in the church community, but then you have this laissez-faire? I, I cannot help the ills of the world without applying God's remedy, which is a Torah community. Or theft. Or theft, or whatever. Um, I think about murder in particular because of the, the need for witnesses in the biblical sense. And then today, oh, we found this guy's fingerprints, he must be guilty. Um, the point being that modern society's response to this doesn't is not justified by the Bible. I don't think the I don't think as like you know, I think I'd be, I'd be a conscientious objector. There's no witnesses. I can't give the death penalty. You know, based on the Torah. So I think that kind of goes back to this point. Sure. Society, unfortunately, is broken. You've got people in abusive situations or whatever else outside of a community situation. Then the, a, a community can still intervene. But that's really the model that I think the Bible is calling for. Absolutely. Sure. You know, it's interesting, and, and uh, one thought I'll leave with you and we'll close, is if you'll recall in the Torah in Leviticus... When it talked about a woman being violated by a man in, I think, the open field, it likens it to a man who breaks in and murders his neighbor. It's likening rape to murder. And you should be able, having gone through the Torah and understanding God's, God's heart for life, and multi-generational faithfulness, you should see how the, the sage's concept that when you murder, you've wiped out a universe of people because of all of those that could come afterwards. If you rape a woman, look at how you've affected that multi-generational faithfulness. Yes, final comment. The community, it's not just said, but it's implied that the woman, having been It's exactly right. The same, same kind of deal. That's exactly right. All right, let's pray, shall we? Good Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for these men and their willingness to uh, study your word, to take it to heart, to know it, and to be able to share it and to teach it to others. Father, I pray that in the difficult circumstances of divorce and remarriage, that you would grant us grace and wisdom. I pray that none of the men here will have to deal with issues in their own community and have to bring these things to bear. But as Jerry's pointed out, even though it should never happen, we know what to do if it does happen. I pray, Father, that the righteousness of the men in this room will affect others and cause them to live to a higher standard. 
in the end that your son might be glorified and lifted up. We pray for his soon return and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you, gentlemen.